Okay, before we go any further, I think you all understand what this music therapy thing is that uh, everybody's been doing this for today. Helping uh, retarded kids reach out and touch the world. Welcome to another episode of the Untitled Podcast. Let's discuss wings. very rich man who presumably would have no need at all to perform before a live audience ever again. You could just go well, back I'll to Well, I'll tell your... you, uh, we were in Nashville, and have you ever heard of a guitar player called Jerry Reed? He's a really good American. 
And we were talking to him, and I was saying that I was going to go on the road. And he said, man, if I was Paul McCartney, I'd buy the road. (laughs) This is the story of Paul McCartney and Wings. Not Paul McCartney solo, not Paul McCartney with the Beatles, but Paul McCartney when he was in a band. Now, Wings is any configuration of the group that includes Linda McCartney and Denny Lane. You could say the Wings era was between 1971 and 1980. That's my favorite era of the solo McCartney work. Wings went through four drummers and three lead guitarists. They had 14 top 10 singles in America. They had five consecutive U.S. number one albums. And while the group formed in 1971 with Linda and Denny Lane on board, they disbanded in 1981 after Denny Lane quit following disagreements over royalties, salaries, and the drug bust that happened with Paul McCartney in Japan, which I will talk about. In 1977, I came down dangerously close to being able to see this classic lineup of Paul McCartney and Wings at Red Rocks Amphitheater in Denver, Colorado, but it was not to be. My parents thought I was too young to go to a concert at that point, and I will forever curse them. So I'm going to freestyle this. If you go back to the end of the Beatles, Paul had married Linda Eastman, and in light of the Beatles' breakup, the press, the legal issues, they kind of escaped for a little while to Glasgow. They lived an unusually Spartan life, even by most people's standards, but especially as one of the Beatles. And they just spent a lot of time playing music, learning to play music in Linda's case, playing with the children, having fun with the animals, and kind of being free of this heaviness that had held Paul down for all these years, and especially more recently with the turmoil within the group. So during this early time, Paul McCartney released the McCartney album, which is a really great solo album, and Ram, which was credited to him and Linda, much to the chagrin of almost everyone in the world. She particularly liked the move, which is now funny, it's now right back in vogue. But she loved that, that funky stuff. We always said she would have been a good punk rocker. Then Paul had an itch. He wanted to get back on the road. The Beatles had not toured since 1966, and Paul was ready to get back out there. He's a natural showman. I think he likes the adulation. I think he likes what comes from a band environment on a stage. And of course, there was an audience for it. So he put together Wings. The first member of Wings was Linda. Linda was basically there to do whatever Paul needed to do. She was the most supportive wife in the world. In addition to taking care of the children doing these things, he wanted her to be a partner with him in everything he did. So for the rest of her life, she was with him every day, except for when he was busted in Japan and jailed briefly. McCartney's counsel admitted he had knowingly grown the plants, but had not known what they were. And today, Japanese newsmen were there in force as the singer emerged, cheerful if somewhat bemused, from the police station where he spent the last nine days in the cell. Linda McCartney, the wife of pop singer Paul McCartney, was arrested at Heathrow Airport this afternoon and charged with possessing cannabis. Yes, it's Paul McCartney, who when searched by customs was found to be carrying a not inconsiderable bag of marijuana buried in his smalls. Can we get one thing straight? That whatever you think and whatever you think I've done, this, I'm telling you, this substance cannabis, is a whole lot less harmful than rum punch, whiskey, nicotine, and glue, all of which are perfectly legal. We're gonna get
This meant with all the touring, Linda was there. And not only was she there, she was on the stage. He taught her to play keyboards. He helped her learn to harmonize. And he even worked on stage presence with her. She was his biggest cheerleader. And so we just decided to go this other funky way and just thought, what the hell, we take a van up the motorway and we'll just do what I always used to do. At least I'll get a sing. At least we'll be with people. The second key element in Wings is Denny Lane. Denny Lane had been the lead singer of the Moody Blues. And this is before they became the Moody Blues that most of us know, that sort of prog rockish group. The Moody Blues back then were a white soul band, for lack of a better word. And their big hit with Denny was Go Now, which most people don't know, but it was a huge hit in England. We've already said goodbye. Denny Lane is a criminally underutilized partner in this band. To me, he was no John Lennon, but he was Paul's most effective collaborator. Members of Wings at this early stage were uh, session drummer Denny Sewell and Henry McCulloch on guitar. They were around for the first couple of albums, so Wings Wildlife was the first record in 1971, and it is probably the worst Paul McCartney album in his entire catalog. It's a real struggle to find good songs on this. It was really bizarre and interesting to me that they recently came out with this massive deluxe box set for Wings Wildlife. I can't imagine what would be worth listening to on a deluxe box set. So here are the tracks Wildlife and Dear Friend, which is a bit of a message to John Lennon. So 
Wildlife was recorded in a week, got a really poor response. He threw out a single called Give Ireland Back to the Irish, and that didn't go anywhere. It was sort of a weak protest song. So then this album contains Mary Had a Little Lamb, which I don't know if that's an answer to the response he got from Give Ireland Back to the Irish, but this is a real hapdash record. Five of the eight songs were recorded in one take, self-produced. Alan Parsons engineered some of it. Really just not much to this. This is not even a demo tape. This album was a little more of a rockin' affair, not really well produced. In fact, most of these records that Paul produced on his own could could really use some help. But a fabulous cover, Red Rose Speedway, 1973, had the band's first big hit with My Love, still an evergreen to this day. One of the most interesting parts of this record is that there's a song called Loop, First Indian on the Moon, and it sounds like pre-Dark Side of the Moon Pink Floyd really uncharacteristic for this band. They never did anything else remotely like this. Red Rose Speedway had a really cool album cover, as I mentioned, and on the back was some braille, and the braille was for Stevie Wonder. Like when you held the record, the braille was on the bottom backhand, and it said, We Love You, Stevie, or something like that. It was originally supposed to be a double album, and 
there is a mix that you can get of it uh, on iTunes that is how it was originally intended to be. Plus, I had a bootleg of it. And it feels much more like an album. It makes the record a lot better than it was as a single disc. Glenn Johns was invited to produce the original sessions, but he left after only a few weeks due to disagreements with McCartney. Supposedly, he was also annoyed because the band was smoking pot constantly. That becomes a theme in this story. During this time, the Live and Let Die single was recorded, title song to James Bond film that is the best James Bond theme ever, one of the greatest songs ever. And the reviews were terrible again. One review said, these songs aren't merely half-finished, they're half-assed. And Robert Criscow derided McCartney's reliance on aimless whimsy in his words and described the work as quite possibly the worst album ever made by a rock and roller of the first rank. It would be hard to argue that Red Rose Speedway is a success. It's interesting, but not a success. This is called Get on the Right Thing. This is where things get really interesting because Henry McCulloch and Denny Sewell quit because they do not want to go to Africa, which is where Paul wanted to record the album. Additionally, there were some other problems, but they wanted to have Wings go and record sessions in Lagos. But the lineup got whittled down to Paul, Linda, and Denny Lane. Henry McCulloch split first, and then during the first rehearsals for the album, Denny Sewell went out the door next. The drama of making this record would make an interesting movie. If there was going to be a movie about Paul McCartney in one period, this would be it. Because when he went to Africa, he expected to come into a studio that was something he was used to working with, and instead he discovered it was below standard. The conditions in Nigeria were tense and difficult. 
The McCartneys were robbed at knife point, and there was a bag taken of unfinished song lyrics and demo tapes. Linda apparently saved the day by screaming, He's Beetle Paul! He's Beetle Paul! And they had chosen Lagos because they thought it would be a glamorous location, and that they could sun on the beach during the day and record at night. But the reality was that it was at the end of a civil war, and in 1970, Nigeria was run by a military government. There was corruption and disease commonplace everywhere. also suffered a bronchial spasm brought on by too much smoking, thought he was having a heart attack. They had a run-in with Fela Kuti, who thought they were there to steal his music. And overall, this is a triumph over adversity. They finished the sessions up in London. They have a great album cover that has Christopher Lee and James Coburn and other famous action stars of the day. And then one of the neat stories to come out of Band on the Run is Dustin Hoffman asking Paul how he wrote a song. And Paul saying, well, they just kind of come to me based on things. And Dustin Hoffman just pulled up a copy of Time magazine that talked about Pablo Picasso. Paul scanned it and he wrote Picasso's last words. Be waiting. 
waiting for you there So drink to me, drink to my health You know I can't drink anymore Drink to me, drink to my health You know I can't drink anymore Band on the Run is probably considered the high-water mark of McCartney's solo work. It stands up really well today. So after recording Band on the Run as a three-piece with Linda and Denny, uh, McCartney added Jimmy McCulloch on lead guitar, who was a young hotshot, and Jeff Britton on drums. He was eventually quickly replaced there by Joe English, who is a powerhouse. And in 1975, they released Venus and Mars, which is a classic record. It was recorded in England, but also New Orleans, I believe. John Lennon almost guested on the record. There was a planned visit of him to come to the studio, but that never happened because he reunited with Yoko Ono. Oh, she looks like snow I wanna put her in a Broadway show Ah, she dance and dine Like a Lucifer, she'll always shine
band stabilized at this point, and Paul started using horns in a really cool way, really great horn charts. So this is what I was referring to as the classic lineup. Paul, Linda, Denny, Jimmy McCulloch, and Joe English. Brief but badass. My heart cries out for love and all that goes with loving, loving song, loving song. My, you're so fine when love is mine, I can't go wrong. Love and song, love and song. I can see the places that we used to go to now. Happiness in the Can't go wrong Loving song Loving song Loving song A lot of great songs on Venus and Mars. I really love the Venus and Mars rock show intro. The band really started sounding more druggy during this period. And then there's Magneto and Titanium Man. Who knew that Paul McCartney loved comic books? Well, I was talking last night.
Paul really tried to have a band feel to this. He wanted everyone to sing. He invited others to write songs. Of course, his were the songs that were, you know, the most time was spent on. And this was the last time he would do that, where he would really highlight the other members of the band was during this Wings era. And so when Wings at the Speed of Sound came out in 1976, Paul doesn't even sing on all the songs. The album featured every member of the band taking lead vocals on at least one song, and two songs from the album were written or co-written by band members other than McCartney's. Apparently John Bonham was hanging out around here, and there's a, a rough demo of him playing Beware My Love with them. album they recorded some of the tracks in Nashville and a really cool b-side is called Sally G. Well now I'm on my own again I wonder if she ever really understood I never thought to ask her what the letter G stood for but I know for sure it wasn't good And they called her Sally Sally G Why do you want to do the things you do to me? You're my Sally Sally G Took the part that was the heart of me Sally G Take it, chaps. Sally G. Yeah, Sally G. Of course, on Wings at the Speed of Sound, the big hit was Silly Love Songs. Also, there was Let Em In, but lots of other cool deep tracks.
Wings Over America is a triple live album. It came with, I think, two posters, awesome gatefold sleeve, just nice packaging in general, fantastic song selection, the pacing, the recording is awesome. And my favorite songs off are tracks that aren't Paul McCartney evergreens. They're not Paul McCartney standards. They're not Beatles songs. They're not big hits. So, for example, Spirits of Ancient Egypt, it's a Denny Lane song. Medicine Jar is Jimmy McCulloch singing about the hazards of drugs, of which he would succumb to later on. That is the most bass-heavy live album you'll ever hear. I believe that Paul was mixing that while stoned, and the bass just sounded so warm and nice. It doesn't help that he's an incredible bass player, but if you want to learn how to play bass, that's a good record to sit and cut your teeth to. There's also a movie called Rock Show, and that's a great document of the tour. So the band was on tour for a while, and then they canceled more tour dates because of Linda's pregnancy with their third child. So in 1978, they released London Town, and this was also the band stripped down to a trio of just Paul, Linda, and Denny. Jimmy McCulloch had left to join the rejuvenized Small Faces. He overdosed and died not long after. And Joe English left as well, which was a big loss. He um, eventually became a born-again Christian, and I believe still does Christian-based rock to this day. Unfortunately, the band was stripped down to its core again, but could not pull off another band on the run. Sessions were recorded at Abbey Road and on a luxury yacht, but it's a very soft, bland record in my opinion.
does include the song Girlfriend, which Michael Jackson subsequently covered on his 1979 Off the Wall record. The big hit off London Town was with The Little Luck. Also recorded during these sessions was the non-album single Mull of Cantar, which until 1984 was the biggest selling single in UK chart history. Mull of Cantar was a beer-drinking pub sing-along for many, many years, and was a surprise hit for everyone, and was not a big hit here in America. I just don't think it resonated. On behalf of the Guinness Book of Records... McCartney was officially honored as the most successful musical composer of all times, having written 43 songs that have sold over a million copies. He's also now the most successful recording artist, with total sales of over 200 million records. I'm hopeless at these kind of speeches and stuff. So I won't do one except thanks very much, everyone. Thanks, everyone, for coming. And thank you for this. So if you can imagine London Town was hitting the stores about the time that punk rock was exploding, you can see where there was a bit of a problem and a bit of a disconnect. One of the songs I really do like from this era was Goodnight Tonight, a single that came out, and it's notable for being very disco and has this great flamenco guitar break. Oh, oh. 
And unfortunately, it didn't show up on the then-current album, Back to the Egg, which I'll talk about in a second here. And the B-side was Daytime, Nighttime Suffering, another song that would have been great on Back to the Egg. What does she get for all the love she gave you? But Good Night Tonight was an international hit. It was huge. It, it's like a mashup or a, a medley of pieces of songs, which I love the way he does that, even going back to Uncle Albert. Admiral Halsey. And this was with the new lineup, Paul Linda Denny, but this time Lawrence Jabbar, who played lead guitar, and Steve Holly, who played percussion. They would be the band that would be credited for the album Back to the Egg. Now, Back to the Egg came out the same year. I can understand why people don't think it's a fabulous record, but there's some awesome songs on there. Getting Closer is so great. It just builds and builds, and the end is just fiery, Zeppelinish kind of heaviness with really great production. Say you don't love him, my salamander. Why do you need him? Oh no, don't answer. Oh no, I'm getting closer. I'm getting closer to Through Me is a nice, simple pop hit that's very dependent on synthesizers, but it's it's a good song. Not a big hit, but a good song. Spin It On is probably Paul's attempt at doing something somewhat punk. It's nowhere near punk, but it's cool pop.
Back to the Egg was The Last Wings album, co-produced by Chris Thomas. He had recently worked with The Pretenders and The Sex Pistols. McCartney wanted to reflect contemporary music trends. That part was not successful. We're open tonight for fun So bring all your friends, come on We're open tonight, come on, come on Stone said it was the sorriest grab bag of dreck in recent memory. The album included the Rockestra theme, which was an instrumental song that was recorded with the cast of guest musicians from The Who, Led Zeppelin, Pink Floyd. It won a Grammy for Best Rock Instrumental Performance in 1980. And then came the drug bust. Wings were supposed to tour Japan. It had been the first time in a while, and Paul tried to bring pot into the country. Japan has very strict drug laws and he almost spent some real time in jail. But due to this, the tour was canceled, the album stagnated. I think Denny Lane kind of lost confidence in the direction of the band, and also Paul's priorities. Then John Lennon got shot, and that kind of soured Paul from wanting to tour. So his next record kind of wraps up the beginning and end of a period that is of the 70s, more or less, which started with the McCartney solo album and ended with the McCartney 2 solo album. This song is the first song that we wrote together, I think. It's called No Words. McCartney 2 solo album came a 45 single of Coming Up, performed live by the band in Glasgow. It was Wings' last show and the end of an era. I highly recommend Wings' Greatest as an album, especially as a vinyl record for the pacing, but every single song on there works beautifully. Do you 
So I want to leave you with one of my favorite songs from one of my favorite albums. This is a song that you might not have heard called Soily. It is the last track and the encore from the Wings Over America album. I've put this song on before and told people I want you to guess who the artist is. And almost every single time, no one can bring themselves to say the words Paul McCartney when it comes to how heavy this track is and how badass it is. Again, listen for the bass on top of everything. But the horns, Paul's voice is like a fine vintage wine at this point. My favorite singing that he has done is on this album. So here's the full-length track of Soily from Wings Over America, 1976. I bid you good night tonight.
This has been produced by Donnie Shattuck. Bye.